hi sean uh thanks so much uh for joining me today um on this video chat and podcast um, i'm hoping that you could for uh the many viewers and listeners could you please introduce yourself sure well first off i'm, I'm super excited that you've asked me to join you um being able to make these connections are, are definitely things that i find are beneficial for business teachers all over the place uh, so my name is Sean Hopp. I'm a seventh year business teacher in a, in a school in a, in a smaller community in Manitoba, Canada. Um, I went to the University of Winnipeg, which had a joint program with one of our community colleges to allow me to be able to get a major in business education, as that being my main teachable, which is a very small program. It's, it's very intensive, but it graduates a very small number of people. So um, I finished that in 2013, started teaching right away, and I've been at the school ever since, building up the business program. I walked into a very small um, struggling business program um, where there was a low number of people who were actually interested in it. And what I did when I came in is I just erased everything I could for, for resources and started fresh and started introducing some new courses. And, and now we're, we've grown into, I, I hopefully think we're one of the better business programs in the province. But yeah, that's, that's a little bit about me and, and kind of my story to where I got where I am. Great. Well, we'll probably dive a little deeper into that as we go. Um, I think it's really interesting, though, um, that the, sort of the parallels, um, you know, in Manitoba and uh, here in Illinois, in the United States, about sort of business education being this um, this entity that sort of is not well defined, and uh, it oftentimes depends on like the one individual or two or three individuals um, that, that might be running the program in terms of the success that it has, which I've always viewed as somewhat ironic considering how important the role business plays in, in both of our countries. I'm wondering if, if that has ever struck you as ironic as well. When I, well, yeah, when I first started teaching business, we, up until about 2015, our curriculum was previously written and was still being implemented from the early 80s. Mm. Um, so we had a business curriculum in place, but a lot of the outcomes were about typing on a typewriter and nothing about technology. And because business is a field that's adapting and advancing at such a quick quick pace, um, we were lucky to kind of use that as leverage to be able to re revamp our curriculum and kind of redo a lot of the courses and, and redo all the outcomes. and. We're lucky that we've been able to do that and successfully implement that new curriculum over the past uh, past few years, um, which has really advanced the, the, the push for business education in Manitoba. And we're starting to see more schools seeing the importance of it and hiring rather than hiring teachers who have an ed degree to teach business courses with, with no background on it. There is more of a push to be able to hire the people who have the expertise on it. Um, and then secondly, with that, because they see the importance of business and because they have the specific education program that I kind of discussed in my first question, um, we're now able to offer uh, a dual diploma program here in Manitoba. So a lot of my students, if they meet the, the requirements of, I think, believe it's just eight courses they have to take, eight business courses throughout their time between grade nine and grade 12, um, they can graduate with a dual diploma. So they get their academic Manitoba diploma that every student gets here, um, as well as what we call our applied commerce education diploma which can really help them with acceptance into post-secondary education, um, whether they go the college route or the university route. 
That's great. I think it's really um, like one of my goals in having these conversations is to bring awareness, um, you know, just to to all of that. That uh, business education um, does not look the same as it does in the '80s and '90s and even early 2000s. Um, so, so thanks for sharing that. I'm, I'm wondering if you could answer the following question, which I ask a lot of uh, people that I interview, and, and maybe it'll be straightforward. Maybe it'll be a little bit more nuanced. Um, when someone asks you a, uh, asks you what you do for a living, how do you respond? It's funny because when I say that I'm a teacher, it's usually to a mixed mixed response. Like the responses I get are usually either like, "Oh, that's great," and then that ends there, or it's kind of like, "Oh, you're a teacher. Like, like how do you handle that?" Um, the way I like to kind of describe it to a lot of people who maybe aren't familiar with what I do is that I really try to try to push it more so that I'm really trying to shape kind of the next generation of, of business leaders. So I really look at my students as being people who are really going to advance past what they do here in the high school. Um, and even if that doesn't mean that they go to post-secondary and they go straight into some sort of workforce, my goal is to try to set them up with the skills and the expertise to be able to one day get to a position in that employment that they seek out when they're done high school or after their post-secondary education to advance to a point where they have the skills and the expertise for business management um, or they have the expertise to be able to go and start their own business and run everything from the top down. So that's that's really how I try to shape it is I try to focus it more around shaping the future of business rather than oh I'm a teacher because I'm sure everyone gets different responses when they <laughs> when they give that answer to people who don't know what they do. Yeah. Now I don't know exactly how the Canadian system works, but in the United States, um, I'm considered an elective teacher, and so um, n none of the students that I teach like have to take this as a, a graduation requirement. They they opt into taking the class. Is it similar in, in Canada for you? It is. Um, all of my courses are elective courses as well, so I'm very reliant on being able to maintain, bring the students in and get them excited in the earlier years and then maintain them as they progress through to grade 12. Um, however, one of through conversations that I've had with some other teachers in Manitoba, there is a larger push that certain, certain branches or certain aspects of business education is more important than, than how they're kind of labeled. Um, there's a colleague of mine in another school here in Manitoba. It's a smaller community, even smaller than where I teach. And uh, they've actually made the grade 10 personal finance course that we have as part of our curriculum as a mandatory graduation credit. Okay. So every student in that school has to take that personal finance course. And, and in my mind, that's one of the most beneficial courses any student can take that we offer. So we have a similar course called consumer education and personal finances as part of that. Um, I don't teach that, but so there is technically one like, you know, business class that that is a graduation requirement. Um, I'm wondering if you could give us sort of a high level overview of what your background is. You know, how did you end up where you are today? I was not a great high school student. I, 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 I was successful enough with my courses that I was able to maintain decent grades and keep my parents happy. But um, I was not motivated to attend school. I was really not motivated really to to stay um, on top of my work and, and maintain relationships with my teachers and all of that stuff. I was just kind of there to get my stuff done and leave, which also led me to not really knowing what I wanted to do when I graduated. We, uh, I, live in, I lived in a community in, in Winnipeg where the expectation was almost that everyone would graduate from this high school that I attended and attend the university that was only five minutes away. So it was almost like a, a stream. It was like a conveyor belt. We just left the high school and went straight to the university. Is that more common in Canada um, to sort of go to a university that's more like regionally located? It's 
It is, and I think a lot of it is just because of socioeconomic means of people. Um, for us, the, edu- the post-secondary education where I'm located, it's it's not very expensive. Um, it's one of the more affordable options in all of Canada. So we do see an influx of people coming from over Canada and even in, in the northern United States um, here to be able to attend post-secondary education. Just like in, in comparison to a city like Toronto or Vancouver, it's maybe less than half um, to average tuition compared to those places. So it's it's almost an, an expectation. I think a lot of it is just because of the affordability and the you know, economic means of, of the individuals. Like for me, I was still able to live at home and, and go to university, which I know is advantageous because a lot of people don't get that. Like now looking at the students that I teach, they, they don't have those means because a lot of them aren't willing to commute an hour every single day to go to school. Mm-hmm. Um, so they have to look for residence. They have to look for, for some sort of living um, opportunity when they when they move. So it was it was almost like you're put into a position where that you can you can do this and you can do it cheaply and you can do it in a way that's going to allow you to be able to to still make money and, and, and do it in an affordable means but um but yeah like i went and i took two years of random courses without any idea of what i wanted to do i i was an athlete growing up so i was like hey i'm gonna go into kinesiology because that ties in with my interests and i took one biomechanics course and i failed my midterm and i dropped it and that was the end of that dream I thought I wanted to take business and started dabbling in a few of the business intro business courses at the university and I was really into it but I wasn't into the the business corporate culture that's not something that I was very passionate about at that time I didn't see myself sitting in a suit and and tie and, and being in an office or in a cubicle every single day so I kind of melded the two that I that I the two things that I was really into I was really into the business stuff and I was really into the like the team building and the community culture that comes with athletics and i i found this this program that i that i mentioned the joint program between the university of winnipeg and uh and red river college and applied i thought hey i'll take a shot i'll I'll, I'll apply and see what happens i i went through the application process they said minimum 2.5 gpa requirement for for admission i looked at my gpa it was 2.5 right on the nose so i was like well this isn't promising, but I'll give it a shot and I'll see what happens. And, and they accepted me and I thought like, oh, I must have had a, a killer application. I must have been able to sell them on, on other means. Um, not realizing that the application numbers that year is way under the, the requirement that they had. So I walked in with the four or five other people who applied that year and uh, realized that it wasn't so much my skill set that, that sold them on it. but. Um, as soon as I got there, I just fell in love with the program. I, every year as I advanced through, I, I really enjoyed what I was doing. And as soon as I was able to practically apply what I was learning into the classroom and start working with students, I just, I instantly knew this is what I want to do. This is something that I'm, I'm super passionate about and I and I want to continue on with this as far as I can. That's one thing that I think is important for young people to hear is that it's probably the norm to not know what you want to do um, when you're 18 years old or 17 years old, um, thinking about college and that, um, you know, it's, it's important to dabble and try try a bunch of things to and do the thing that you probably think is what you want to do. But if it, it turns out not to be, you know, make an adjustment and, and figure out what that thing is. Um, I'm wondering if you could tell me a little bit about uh, the school where you teach. So our school is 1,100 students. It's a grade nine through grade 12. Um, it's a two campus school as well. So we've got two buildings um, that are that are separate. Uh, our population is, uh, is is kind of very unique. And a lot of people look at the community that I teach in in, in a little bit of a negative light. I grew up in, in Winnipeg. I still live in Winnipeg. 
uh, which is the capital of Manitoba. And I commute out to, to the community that I teach in. And, and a lot of people in Winnipeg have a very negative opinion about this community because it is a very, um, very heavily indigenous populated community. Um, if you look at the most violent cities in Canada, we're, we're in the top five in terms of, uh, in terms of crime per capita. So the, uh, the public outlook of, of this community is not, not positive, but what I see when I come here every single day is that the students who come into this school are motivated and they have dreams and they are successful and they're, they're intelligent and they're motivated and they just need that right push and, and to not have those labels associated with them. Of their future is going to be either poverty or criminal activity or working medial jobs for the rest of their lives. They, they aspire to do more, but they need that motivation and that push. And, and I feel grateful that I'm in a position to be able to, to help do, do that, especially with business. We, the business opportunity for a lot of these students are endless. They can take so many different streams and dependent on post-secondary or on going straight into the workforce. Um, I'm grateful that I'm able to, to help kind of build up those skills and provide them with those opportunities and, and develop connections while they're still in high school to be able to then have them excel past the, I would say the societal expectations of a lot of people within our, within our province. That's great. I'm wondering on that uh, subject or on that topic, could you talk a little bit about the classes that you teach that um, do help the students build the skills that you were speaking of? Sure. So we offer uh, we offer nine credits, business credits here at, at the school. Um, the ones that I specifically teach are, are more focused around business management, uh, marketing, which I put kind of a little bit more emphasis on digital marketing now with that kind of being a bigger growth um, opportunity. Um, I do courses in uh, in what we call venture development, which is an entrepreneurship or start your own business course. Um, I do retailing perspectives. Um, we do one on creative promotions. And then we also have courses offered in personal finance, as well as uh, as just what we call business innovations. And that's kind of our intro, get these kids interested in business, show them a little bit of stuff, and then they can kind of branch out into the streams that they they kind of fit more into their, their interests. Um, and then we also have an accounting stream that I don't teach. So typically a lot of the students that go into the personal finance course, if they really find interest in that, then we try to push them into the accounting stream and, and have them advance through that. That's great. I'm wondering if you could tell me a little bit more about um, your entrepreneurship curriculum specifically. What does that look like? How long is it? Um, how many students do you find in, in a particular class? And what are some of the you know, bigger goals and objectives of the course? So I, I'm lucky where I was kind of given complete autonomy over my course with the entrepreneurship, um, the entrepreneurship course specifically. So rather than seeing seeing how I taught some of the other courses in the past where, where it was very theory heavy and thinking back to my experiences in high school where everything was very theory heavy, I, I didn't really want to approach entre entrepreneurship in the same way because I know that that's not going to motivate the students into seeing entrepreneurship as an opportunity. So I've been able to kind of revamp the entire course and, and do it more as a long-term project. Um, I, I have those students for approximately five months and typically my class sizes are about anywhere from 15 to 25 students. And we start out doing a lot of kind of intensive brainstorming and looking at different ideas that could potentially fit in with their passions or their interests or even the needs of the community that we're located in. And uh, we, we do some pitches. We, we brainstorm a lot. We get the kids kind of working in, in little pockets or groups um, and try to partner kids up based on not only just based on their passions and interests, but also based on their skill set. So I look at students who are maybe a little bit smarter in regards to the finance part of it, comparing it with some who maybe have a lot of social media expertise or understanding 
and trying to partner those students up to be able to use their strengths to be able to advance the business. I love um, the idea of not um, you know pairing kids based on their common traits, but based on um, on their deficits. It's uh, and it's advantageous too because typically that also means that they're kind of working within groups that aren't um, their friendship groups when they're when they're here in the high school. Because one of the things that I really try to stress to them in the beginning is that typically working with friends is going to lead to turmoil because as soon as there's some sort of issue within the business, that can affect everything else that goes on outside of the, the 65 minutes we have together in the classroom. So we try to we try to encourage them to be able to work with others that maybe they're not so much, like you said, like focus on the deficits and, and try to partner other people who have those those strengths that are, don't have those deficits to be able to help advance those business ideas. And basically everything we do from start to finish is just building up this business and then finding opportunities to be able to make our, our goods or our services available to the community. Do you use any um, framework for sort of the business formation process like Lean Startup or anything like that? We have uh, in the past. I When I first started teaching the course, I used uh, the Junior Achievement Company program. Um, they provided they provide a lot of resources to be able to to go straight from idea development all the way to business facilitation to liquidation at the end. Um, I found that resource to be very helpful because the students basically operated as as corporations. Um, their businesses were formed at, kind of as a corporation under the junior achievement umbrella, and uh, and then they were able to go and sell shares in their business to raise capital to be able to build their products or perform their services and then pay back their shareholders at a later date. Um, <clears throat> I really liked their model, but I found that it limited students to only operating within that five month period. And that's not something that I really wanted to emphasize. I wanted students to see that if they could come up with something that was unique or original or creative or 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 successful within our community, why should they limit themselves to the five months of, of the course to to run their business? Like, why should they have to liquidate in June or why should they have to liquidate in January? So yeah, I, I, I feel like a lot of the um more traditional business education models really tried to emphasize like corporate governance and sort of like following this, you know, this playbook that maybe maybe be more associated with neon lighting and cubicles as opposed to um, like trying to identify a real problem and then find a solution that people would be willing to pay for it. So like, um, have you found that you have shifted away from that more structured uh, form of, of, of framework for thinking about business? Yeah, I find that more so in the last few years, we put kind of more emphasis on looking at it more as a side hustle versus a, a full-fledged business. Not saying that a side hustle was not a full-fledged business, but I wanted them to see it as an opportunity where they could focus around creativity, they could focus around their ability to do it in a low-maintenance environment. Um, and still be persuasive and still be passionate about it. So the ideas that I really try to push on them is let's try to come up with some ideas that are not going to be very um, financial dependent. Like these are things that you won't need to go and seek out shareholders for. We can find other opportunities to raise this capital to get you started. We can do this in a way that we can accomplish it in the 65 minute time period we have in class. And you don't have to spend hours in the evenings or hours on the weekends to try to do the little things that are going to allow you to start it up. And, um, and but at the same time really starting to to key in on on their passion areas and their interest areas because the one thing i don't want them to do is is to have it feel like a chore right. um i don't want them to come in here and think that they're just working on an assignment because i find that when students put that label of assignment and it's not something that they really enjoy that really demotivates them from from pursuing it 
Um, so I want them to see it more as a passion project. I want them to see it as something that they enjoy doing. They're, they're giving back to the world in some way, whether it's by providing a need or a want that solves a problem for someone, or they partner it up with something that they're passionate about or something that they're, they're like some sort of charitable organization that they're, they're wanting to support. Um, and I find that since we've made that shift and we've, we've kind of emphasized it more like that from the beginning, I've seen a lot more motivation. I've seen a lot more interest and, and ultimately the enrollment in the class went up because students see the things that other students are accomplishing and they say, hey, I want to be able to do that as well. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. We, um, in the entrepreneurship class that I teach, we sort of started like trying to mirror what you might find in a Silicon Valley, you know, accelerator accelerator program where, you know, you're, you're coming up with like your pitch deck to go raise funding. And to me, the, the realities of a high school student um, really gaining something by pretending to raise money um, is, is not quite as valuable as like actually trying to produce value such that somebody's willing to pay for it. Um, and then like that just becomes so much more concrete and it can snowball and it can build and you can use an iterative design approach to try to improve the business so that maybe you do get to a point where it does make sense to raise some amount of funding. But to start with that, you know, in mind of the first thing that we need to do is raise money doesn't necessarily create the most authentic experience for students. And it sounds like you've had a similar experience. And I find that when you put that emphasis from the beginning about raising money, if they see failure in that in the beginning, the resiliency to try to push through it starts to become more difficult. Whereas if the monetary aspects of it are not the main focus and are not the thing that's going to be reliant on them being able to make it happen, then they start to see that success. And, and I find the thing that I really try to push them to accomplish on an earlier date is to make that first sale. I find that first dollar that they receive is more motivating than anything else that we do in the class. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I always talk to my students about like the role that momentum plays in building a business and pretending like you're going to start your own fashion brand that's gonna be distributed in you know tens of thousands of stores across the world. You know, like maybe there is some value in that, but like creating an e-commerce site where like you actually sell a single sweatshirt, it's like, that's really motivating. And students can start to see like, okay, that happened literally while I was asleep. And now if I can just figure out how to you know work on my marketing efforts to get another sale and another sale, and maybe I reach out to an influencer that you know I, I know tangentially and see how I can actually get this ball rolling more and more and more. Yeah, yeah I agree completely. Um, I'm wondering if there's anything um, in addition to what you just talked about, about teaching entrepreneurship um, that you know now that you, you didn't know when you started? I guess I kind of, when I started, I put a lot of emphasis on, like I said, a, a lot of how I kind of focus things was trying to stay away from the theory element. But I really felt like at the beginning, I still had to lay the groundwork. Um, I found that I had to introduce a lot of the theory to them for them to be able to make that connection and then start to practically apply it. One of the things that I found is kind of more relevant now and, and is something that is working more so now with my students is rather than trying to lay out that theory and then have them try to put it into practice, a lot of trial by fire and a lot of learning on the job has been way more successful in them understanding the impact of things like, like financial statements, for example. Um, I'll introduce the financial statements, but I'll give them the, the freedom to be able to build it and shape it in any way that they choose. I'm not gonna give them a structure and say, this is how you have to do it. This is how you do it step by step. You make it work for what's best for you. And 
if questions come up or if you're having issues, then we can start to make connections with others to be able to help and help build those skills and, and help shape those in a way that's going to make it work for you. So I try to really empower the learning back on the students rather than it being me just facilitating learning and then having them recall it in some way, shape or form. Yeah, I, I definitely agree that there, def, there there needs to be some amount of foundational understanding. There needs to be a shared vocabulary so that when you're talking about something, it's not students fumbling for a word to describe the thing that they're talking about. It's like, no, this is this is what that is called. Like this is um, this is this is an established thing. And now that you're encountering this problem, we can use this thing that exists and we can sort of make value of it as opposed to just trying to remember, you know, what a, a PNL is and you know, a devoid of context. Um, I want to shift gears a little bit, um, sort of talk about, sort of tie this back in a little bit later. Do you have any um, of your own side hustles that are outside of the classroom? Uh, I don't that, I would say I do, but I don't have any that are, are profitable, we'll say. Like a lot of what I do is more just passion project. Um, one of the things that I put a lot of emphasis and focus on in the last little bit is, is writing and developing my own website and more specifically making sure that I'm doing it in a way that, that has uh, paid for hosting and domain because I find that as soon as you have that .wordpress.com or .weebly.com, people don't take you seriously. Um, you don't have that financial investment to try to advance something. So it's very easy to lose motivation and, and interest in that. Whereas uh, what I did with my website, so my website, www.seanhops.com, is I wanted to ensure that I had that kind of financial um now I'm, I'm having a brain fart. A sunken cost or like some yeah. incentive in order to yeah. not like, let it be a waste. I made that financial contribution to be able to go and, and motivate myself to continue on thing with it. And the other way that I've shaped that too is that I wanted to try to make advancements within my website and within the things that I was doing that would allow the students to be able to hold me accountable at the same time that I hold them accountable because I'm expecting them to keep advancing their business ideas, but they come in and say, hey, I haven't seen your anything new on your website in the last week. Like, why are you slacking? So um, I would say my, my main side hustle would be my website. And then more specifically now, one of the things that I focused on in the last two weeks is rather than putting a lot of emphasis on creating blog posts and trying to market those blog posts, um, I've shifted gears and now I'm starting to publish. I've started publishing two weeks ago a, a weekly newsletter for specifically for business educators, but it's, it's also geared towards ed educators of all specialty areas because... Um, what I do with my newsletter, which I call Teach Business Today, is I, I come up with or I identify the five coolest things that I see every week in regards to business. Um, but I try to focus on less of, of what the article is about or the, the Twitter feed is about and more about how you can implement that in your classroom. And not just specifically implementing it into a business classroom, but how you can take those elements and introduce them into other subject areas for teachers who maybe are interested in business, but their students just don't have the options or the electives in their schools to be able to take it. So how can you introduce that into other curricular areas and uh, and be able to kind of give them that knowledge in a way that is going to give them that expertise or give them those skills to be able to then go and look at business as a potential post-secondary option? Yeah, I think if any business education teachers end up listening to this or watching this, um, I, I similarly created a website, mmcfadden.com, um, where I sort of use the tools that exist in, you know, this 21st century marketing landscape that we live in, in terms of like opt-in pages and having like a landing page and um, blog posts and having a MailChimp account so I could create a, an email list. Um, actually having that experience and thinking of something that people would find of value that would give them a reason to come visit your site 
allows you to put into context much of what you talk about as an entrepreneurship teacher, because you're not just speaking in the abstract, you're saying, you know, here is an email blast that I sent out. And now look at my Google Analytics on my website, and you can see the direct correlation that exists between A and B. So I commend you for doing that. And I'm a subscriber and I encourage everybody else to subscribe to your mailing list. (laughs) because um, it's definitely really, really interesting. Um, I want to ask just a couple more questions and then we'll wrap up. Um, uh, because you are sort of heavily in the social media space, you've got a pretty strong presence on Twitter. I'm wondering if there's anything um, that you think people or students don't understand about social media. I find that students, when I, when I talk to my students about social media, they don't see it as a tool they can use to kind of advance themselves or their brand, their personal brand, or even a business brand. Um, The approach that a lot of my students take to social media is a tool to be able to share events that they feel other students that they have on their following follower um, ratio or or the things that they want to see. So it's, it's a lot of parties. It's a lot of um, things that, that maybe necessarily don't help build a brand. So what I try to do with my students is I try to shape social media in a way that allows them to see it as a, an advancement tool. Um, and we look at a lot of people who use social media effectively for those means. Um, we look at a lot of personal branding efforts and the things that you can do to be able to help advance that. Um, I don't necessarily force them to do it. I don't say, okay, you're all gonna create a Twitter account and you're all going to pick a niche area and this is all you're gonna do for the next five months. Because as soon as you kind of, again, if you put an assignment on social media, they're not going to see the benefit of it. Um, but I find that the more I educate them on the abilities of social media to be able to advance their careers or advance them as individuals or provide them with new income opportunities, they start to see it in a different light. And I find that it really kind of shapes how they use their social media on a day-to-day basis. Um, and then they start to see opportunities maybe maybe they decide like for as an example i have one student who's very passionate about photography um she's a very skilled photographer but she never really used instagram as a tool to be able to help build her photography brand so we had a lot of conversations about how others have done it i was able to connect her with photographers that i know personally who uh who used instagram specifically as a business tool to help build their photography brand and and build their portfolio and get themselves more business opportunities and by part making those partnerships and those connections this student was then able to see, okay, this is actually a tool that if I start to use it in a little bit more of a strategic way, I can really find new opportunities to be able to make myself more well-known and and provide myself with more opportunities in my community or or elsewhere. I love framing um, social media as an advancement tool. I think that makes a lot of sense. If you want to do really anything, um, social media is is a resource for you to be able to get one step closer towards doing that thing. Yeah, and uh, and like even from that, like I just I saw yesterday she's she's doing photo shoots with all of the money that people decide to pay her for it, which she's not putting a set amount on. It's all going to be 100% donation based. So she's able to then now looking at like this is not something I don't think she would have thought of in in January or February when we had these discussions. But now she's saying, okay, this is a tool I can use to advance myself. Let's let's connect it with a charitable cause and let's let's find ways to be able to to build my following and, and build my exposure. That's very cool. I'm wondering, um, as an entrepreneurship teacher, do you ever get students that um, have maybe an overly simplified view of social media when they talk about, like, 
when they're in the business formation process and maybe you're talking about their marketing strategy, they'll just say, we're going to use Instagram. <laughs> and then like that is the sum totality of their marketing plan is one word, Instagram. That's usually what I see. And then it takes a lot of discussion to be able to, to kind of break that down a little bit and, and start to look at Instagram as, as why you want to use Instagram. Like, I find and then how that, to use Instagram effectively as well. Yeah, I find most of most of the youth in, in the high school system today see Instagram as a tool that can be effective, but they don't know how to use it properly. And until you have those discussions and you, instead of saying the what, like what are you going to use Instagram? Why are you going to use it? How are you going to use it? And then start to develop a framework to be able to have them not only understand why and how it's, it can be used, but start to pre-plan some of the things that they're going to do with it to be able to keep themselves accountable and take a lot of that load off. Like one of the things that I really push my students to do when they're looking at social media marketing, um, whether it's for themselves or, or for a business, is to pre-plan at least one month's worth of content before you actually post your first post. Because if you know what you're going to do for 30 days with captions, with the themes that you're going to fit into, Hashtags then you, exactly. people are going to tag. Yeah, you can just go right back to that document and say, okay, day two, this is what I planned for it. Go through your inventory of, of images or videos, or maybe you go and you spend 10, 15, 20 minutes creating one. Um, and then and then you post it and you've got everything. It, it takes a lot of that, that front end work off of you. So um, that's something that I really encourage my students to do. And I find that that's really helped shape their understanding of Instagram as, as one specific tool a lot, a lot more. And I think, um, now I'm not sure if you use Instagram the same way that you use Twitter, but I think having that Twitter profile where you're active and connecting with um, people that are sort of in your vertical um, is a great proof point to the students where you're not just saying this, you know, um, because you read it in a headline in an article, but rather you've been a practitioner of this for a long time, which I think is super important in business education and entrepreneurship education specifically. And I think another, I agree with that completely. And I, and I also think that having students develop the understanding of where their audience is, is very important because when students look, especially with my students, as an example, when they look at building social media following, they always stretch themselves over every platform that they know. I'm going to create a Facebook page and a Twitter profile and an Instagram profile and a TikTok, and I'm going to create a Snapchat account. But when you stretch yourself too thin and, and you're not reaching the right people, um, or you're reaching the same people just on multiple platforms, it's not going to be as effective for you. So we also spend a lot of time understanding where is our audience and how can we leverage that platform to be able to reach our audience. And like, as you, as you mentioned regarding like my Twitter and comparing it to my Instagram, I don't see my audience being as prevalent on Instagram as I do on Twitter. So the emphasis that I put on Instagram is, is so minimal compared to the emphasis that I put on my Twitter account. I think that makes a lot of sense. And I think it's comforting to know that you don't have to do everything. I mean, you should probably dabble and, and be, you know, fluent in, in the language of, of Instagram and Twitter. And I need to get up to up to snuff on uh, TikTok, <laughs> but uh, um, it's on my list of to-dos for the summer. Um, but I think that that's a really great advice is to you know, choose one that makes sense for the audience that you're trying to reach and then really become proficient at using them. Um, I want to ask one more question before we wrap up today, and it's pretty open-ended. You can sort of take it in any direction that you want. Um, what advice would you like to share with young people? Don't be scared to take risks. That's really what it comes down to, especially with entrepreneurship. Is it's It's fearful. I understand that trying to make a financial investment into trying to make money is something that can be very scary 
And it's very easy just to revert back to what you're comfortable with because you can go and make your minimum wage at McDonald's, but your opportunities to make money with entrepreneurship can be a lot higher. And there is going to be a lot of time and effort and energy and blood and sweat and tears put into this that you're not going to get paid for. But don't be afraid to take that risk because the end result can be can be monumental. It can be something that can earn you way more than you would make per hour at a part-time job. And the other side of the coin of that, I think, is that the downside is actually um, not nearly as bad as as you might imagine it to be. So that you have this tremendous upside and the the consequence of it not working out is, especially if you're a young person, um, you know, maybe you, you wasted a lot of time on something, but now you can use what you learned there on the next go. And I think that the learning opportunities in a, in a failure situation outweigh the money that you lost. I find that you can take the stuff that you've learned and you can apply that to things that you do in the future to help better your chances for advancement or success. And that you would never achieve that if you never took that risk in the first place. Yeah, I totally agree. Um, and especially for teachers. I think teachers are oftentimes um, hesitant to maybe make a blog or be active on Twitter because they're afraid that, oh, if it, if it doesn't, you know, get as many likes as some, you know, education celebrity, <laughs> then then it's somehow a failure. But I really think that if you can think about trying something new as a learning opportunity as in defining, you know, success based on how much you learn versus how much, you know, you profit, um, that, that it's a great framework for for stretching yourself and trying new things yeah i would i would agree like i think for myself putting myself a little bit more out there on social media and emphasizing things like developing a website and starting to create blog posts and then now my newsletter i find that that has been better professional development personally than than things that we've done in on the school level or the divisional level Um, it's helped advance my classroom it's helped advance my students understanding on things because now i have things that i can reach back to and i have an inventory of of assets to be able to go and say this is what i've done this is what happened and how can we do this differently to be able to increase my chances of of viewership or success or or followers or whatever thing whatever metric we're trying to accomplish and the other thing about that is um, when you put yourself out there you become more inclined to connect with other like-minded people. We're no longer constrained by you know the, the geographical constraints that we once were. Um, here I am having an international <laughs> conversation with a business teacher that I never would have you know connected with if it wasn't for Twitter. Um, so, Sean, I just want to thank you very much for taking the time to to do this interview. Um, uh, I don't have anything else to ask you. So, th- thanks so much. I hope we get to do this again in the near future. And if you have any questions, you know, feel free to let me know. Definitely. Thank you so much uh, for giving me the opportunity to speak to you. This is this is awesome. Like I, I had a really great time. So thank you. My pleasure. Let, let's do this again.